All right, amen. A little bit of feedback there. Good morning, guys. How's everybody doing? Good? All right. This is clearly like the most popular week to travel because it's pretty sparse. So that means there's more candy for you. So good job. Way to be here, kids. Excited you're here. If you answer questions, if you participate, I will wildly throw candy at you. So get ready for that. We got a big bucket here. So hopefully that's some incentive. Whew. All right. I'm going to take a breather real quick, because I don't know if you noticed, but I was the stormtrooper going nuts. And that mask is hot. I don't know how Pope is running around in that full costume, but it's crazy. All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to our Family Friendly series. This is our second week of this, Dinosaurs and Robots. So last week, we talked, well, actually, I want to ask you, kids, if you were here last week, what did we talk about last week? Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. What about dinosaurs? (laughs) Get candy. What do we talk about? What about dinosaurs? I wasn't here last week. That's all right. <laughs> You're here this week. That's what matters. We got more questions. But if you were here last week, what do we talk about? What's that? Huh? Creation. Yeah, that's my son right there. I don't know if his mommy fed him the answer. I don't know. All right, so last week, we kicked this off. We talked about dinosaurs. We talked about creation. And really, ultimately, if, okay, if this isn't obvious, obviously, because we're talking about dinosaurs and robots, this is actually a series about all of God's story from beginning to end. So we were doing like dinosaurs, robots in the future. So last week, we talked about the very beginning, dinosaurs, creation, that God created everything, how he created, and how he designed it to be good. Ultimately, it's the very beginning of God's story. Well, today, we're going way into the future. We're shifting to look ahead where technology, where robots are just as common as people, where technology is beginning to, to uh, catch up to our creativity as the human race. Like we got some crazy ideas and, and technology is starting to catch up, which is super, super exciting. But we're also talking about the future in general from a spiritual standpoint, not just technology, although technology is fun, I'm a tech nerd. But I wanna ask kids another question. If you were going to build a robot, what would it do? It will clean up my room. It'll clean up your room. Good job. Good job. Good answer. What else? If you were to build a robot, what else? Robots are programmed to smile and laugh and pick up rooms. Yeah, to smile, to laugh, to pick up rooms. Here. Everything. Everything. You design a robot to do everything. That's really cool. Tori. To do my homework. To do your homework? Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure if there would be more robots in the future if they did our homework for us. Yes. To make everything in my room. To make everything in your room. Awesome. Good job. Cool. Yes. Miles. Hey, there's a good idea. A robot to fill in for a sick teacher. There we go. Hey, we got an amen in the back. <laughs> Karen would love that. All right. Cool. Well, good job. Thank you for answering. Adults, do you have any ideas? If you were to create a robot, what would it do? Make us never late ever again. <laughs> Is that called a calendar? <laughs> I think those have been around for a while. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, anything else? Any other crazy ideas out there? It would 
make me a teleporter so that I can get to school on time. A teleporter to get to school on time. That's a great idea. Cut through traffic. Anything else? One more. To cook. To cook. <laughs> yes. Heads up. All right. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, good news is, is about half of those already exist. So go out and find them. If you've ever heard of a Roomba robot vacuum, those will clean part of your room for you. That's good. Yes. Um, robots could go to the store and get you food. That's a great idea. Robots to get to the, go to the store to get you food. Right now we got Uber Eats, so we're halfway there. People are still doing that for us. Cool. All right. Well, I want to point out this first point is that we are already living in the future. I don't know if you've thought about this, but in many ways we are already there. Like I said, half of those ideas for robots already exist, which is pretty crazy. So if you really think hard, we all have robots in our, in our homes. So again, think hard. Kids, do you know if you have any robots at home? What do you have? You have a BB-8? Perfect. I mean, you match the, match the slide. Anything else? You have robots? Miles? Um, I have an R2-D2 thing that I built. An R2-D2 thing? You built it? Oh, sweet. That's awesome. Cool. Alexa. Who has an Alexa smart assistant in their home? Good. Those are everywhere. Or Google or Siri. Siri's got a really expensive one that doesn't work very well. But, huh? I have Alexa. You have Alexa? You throw out a couple answers. I'll give you some more. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Any other robots at home? I made a robot this week. You did? What does it do? So it didn't work? Okay. You'll get better at it. You'll get better at it. You just can't let it do your homework. Otherwise, you won't get better. Yes? Um, I, um, for Christmas, my Omi and Papa gave me a little RTD2. That's awesome. Star Wars stuff is great. Star Wars is awesome. It's got little blasters on the side. That's great. All right. Well, we all have robots at home. I, for one, we've, I'm kind of a tech tech nerd. I love gadgets. Amanda is really annoyed with me at times because of how much stuff I want to buy. But we, we at home, we have a Roomba. It cleans our carpets relatively well. It's all right. We've got a smart thermostat, which is fun. It learns our habits. We can control it remotely. We've got a smart doorbell so we can spy on people. That's pretty cool. We've got smart speakers around our house so we can tell it to set timers, set reminders, set our grocery list, play music. We've got assistants all over the place. We even bought these little uh, smart plugs so we can talk to our speakers to turn on our lights and to turn on our tea kettle in the morning. So it's getting pretty cool and that's all, all that stuff is pretty affordable. So we're, we're honestly getting there. We are in the future in many respects which is super cool. We're just going to continue on in that. So I want to point some other things out on a bigger scale that you may not be aware of. How many of you remember this from Star Wars? Star Wars is a great place to look for technology. All right. So this is a speeder bike from the original Star Wars trilogy. This speeder bike has inspired a lot of people to want to develop a bike that flies through the air. Well, guess what? We've already got one. Check it out. That is a drone bike. So it's not quite the same. It's powered by drones. But this thing can go up to 35 miles an hour. That exists right now. And it's just going to get better. Who knows when these are going to be on the streets? How many of you remember this? All right, that's for some of the older generations in the room. 
So we, we've been fantasizing about the future for, forever. Big robots, big assistants. Check this out. This is, actually exists today. This robot, na it, its name is Atlas. It's made by a company called Boston Dynamics. And you can see it adjusts to its surroundings, even when people are mean to it. They've taught it how to do parkour, to leap and jump. So for those of you who uh, have doubted that the Terminator may come to pass, this exists. And it can do more than I can. <laughs> All right, and just for fun, I got another one for you. Check this out. This is also Boston Dynamics. This is a dog named Spot. They even put some nice googly eyes on it to make it look a little bit more real. But they've designed these to be in homes, to clean up after us, to put dishes away. Check this out. They'll even recycle. And their plan, Boston Dynamics, their plan, I don't know if it'll actually happen, but they have announced that they're gonna try to sell these beginning this year in 2019. They may cost more than $20,000. Yeah. This is my favorite one. It can get up, too, when it falls. So these may cost more than $20,000, but they are coming to a home near you. And if any of you are here wondering, why would I ever need a robot like that? Maybe for something like this. So if you want to teach a robot how to dance and just entertain people, you got it right there. So again, those are supposed to come on sale this year. Yeah. That's awesome. It turns on the lights for you to wake you up. Robots are really cool, aren't they? So we are in the future. We're there. Like everything that we've, we've dreamed about 50 years ago is coming to fruition. So that was just fun. I, I, I really nerd out about technology and gadgets and stuff like that. But I want to point this out. The, the whole theme of this morning... <laughs> the whole point of this morning is to talk about the future, not only of technology, but of, of spirituality, right? The future of the Bible, the future of the church, the future of God's story. So we talked about creation, we talked about the beginning of God's story, and now we're going to go way into the future and talk about the end. So I want to show you this. So, so track along with me. If you've got Bibles with you, um, you can also read on the screen. But um, again, we've been pushing for people to bring their Bibles to write notes, to take notes, and engage with it a little bit more. But in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, this is Jesus. Right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he says this. He says, well, it says, after John was put in prison, John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news for God. 
And he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is really one of the first things that Jesus said publicly in his ministry. The kingdom of God is near. It's near. So believe and good repent and believe in the good news. So when Jesus arrived on the scene 2,000 years ago, he brought literally the kingdom of God with him to earth. That was the pivotal shift throughout all of human history. Literally, I mean, you guys study history at school at all? This is the major event in all of human history. And the kingdom of God is ultimately what the Jews were waiting for, what the Israelites were waiting for, and Jesus brought it with them. So I want to give you a timeline just to help you visualize this a little bit. Kids, hopefully this will be helpful too. So right at the beginning, last week we talked about creation. So from the very beginning, creation is the kingdom of God, right? He created everything and he rules over it like a king. He's got control over everything. It's his kingdom. And he gives it to us, to human beings, to manage. And then, of course, many of us know what happened. Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. They did the exact opposite of what he told them to do. And so we had this thing called the fall. That's where people broke what God had intended. So then, throughout the rest of the Old Testament era, and and I don't know if you know this, the Bible is split up into two major sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is everything before Jesus, and the New Testament is everything Jesus and after. So the Old Testament, that huge span of history, it's all about God working to establish his people and to, to try to build his kingdom again. So it starts when he picks this random guy named Abraham. You guys know who Abraham is? He picks this random guy named Abraham, and he says, you know what, I'm going to choose you, and I'm going to use you and your descendants. I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and all your descendants are going to be my people, and I'm going to use you to bless the world. So he does. Starts building his kingdom through Abraham, and then all of his descendants, and I'm going through a huge blitz history right here. His descendants, they they grow and grow and grow and grow. Then they eventually wind up in Egypt as slaves. So again, that doesn't really work well with God's original plan right? Because he wants his people to to rule as he would. So he saves them, rescues them out of slavery through a guy named Moses. You've heard about Moses. He parts the seas. He rescues his people. And then he promises to give them land, the promised land. He promises to give them land for them to dwell in. They eventually make it there through a lot of craziness and uh, disobedience. They wander through the desert a bunch, but they eventually get to this land. And then they ask for a king. And so God says, okay, fine, I'll give you a king. But this is the point. Your king needs to rule like I would. It needs to be the kingdom of God. So he puts this king in place, and then, of course, as human beings, they mess it up. Even the best king in Israel's history was not perfect. Do you guys know who the best king, the greatest king in Israel's history was? Anybody? God, that is true. I'm thinking about a human king. I'll give you a candy for that. Thanks for answering. Ariel? King David. There we go. Oh, geez. I'm losing stuff. You guys can have that. Heads up. All right. King David. Even King David, sometimes we like to puff him up as like he's the greatest king in Israel's history. He still did terrible things. So the whole point is that, that God tried to rule through people. It didn't work. And he's moving this way. So even the greatest king could not do it. So what happens is that God decides to put an end to it. He says, okay, these kingdoms are so corrupt. They're so messed up. We can't, put the, we can't continue this. So he eventually allows them to be taken into captivity by Babylon. 
And so they live there for uh, several generations. And then God promises them again, okay, I will restore you again. I'll bring you back to your land. We'll, we'll try this again. We'll get this going. And eventually he does. So God is constantly giving these promises for his people. He's constantly trying to establish his kingdom that is good for him and for us. But again, that doesn't work very well either. So by the time we get to Jesus, the Jews, they're, they're no longer enslaved, but they don't have their own land. They don't have their own government. They don't have their own nation. They're suppressed and, and basically ruled over by Rome. So they still don't have this, and they are waiting for this, this guy named the Messiah. They're waiting for God's chosen person to come and rescue them and establish God's kingdom for them once again. So that's a super brief history of what happened up to the point of Jesus, right? So when Jesus comes, he basically says, here I am, and the kingdom of God is here. It's the first thing he says. The kingdom of God, this thing you've been waiting for, your entire history is here because of me. And so that comes with Jesus, his ministry. It comes when he ultimately died on the cross and three days later rose again to ultimately conquer sin and death. That's how he established his kingdom. He removed the things like sin and death that were in, in the way. Right? Those are the things that were in the way between us and God. So he removes those and then he gives us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. But Jesus himself, this is cool, Jesus himself says, the kingdom of God is here, but there's also more to come. It's here, but there's more to come. So, after Jesus rose again, what do you want to say? Um, my robot helps me turn on the TV and sings me songs while I go to help me go to sleep. That's awesome. Your robot is really cool. Okay, I'll give you some candy. There you go. All right, so that's where we're at. And Jesus says, my kingdom's here, but there's more to come. And so when he ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples to wait for something. He says, wait for the Holy Spirit to come on you. And so that's this fancy word that we have called Pentecost. Random question, does anybody know what Pentecost means? Nope. No? No? Anybody? Anybody in the room? 50 days after. Dan, you want some candy? <laughs> 50 days after. So this is, it's a Jewish event, but, but Jesus claims it and says, at this time, this is when I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit. So Pentecost comes. It's a Jewish holiday. And the Holy Spirit comes on his disciples in crazy ways. And so what happens is all of his disciples start speaking in other languages that they, do, they don't know. They don't know how to speak these languages, but they just compulsively start blowing out in these different languages. And then something like tongues of fire were dancing on their heads. And I don't know what that looked like. It sounds pretty bizarre to me, but that's what we're told happened. And ultimately, this is the cool thing that happens is right after that, Peter finds himself being able to preach to a huge group of people. And this is what he says. This is in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And Peter says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And he has a much longer sermon in there. I encourage you to go read it. But basically, this is what he's doing. He quotes an Old Testament prophecy, again, before Jesus, Old Testament, quotes an Old Testament prophecy to show 
that look, the Holy Spirit just came on us. It's poured out on all people. We are now in the last days. It's also kind of weird, right? But last days, when he says we are in the last days, basically what he means is, okay, the world's going to come to an end someday. Jesus said he's coming back a second time. So now we are in that set of days that leads up to the very last day. So I want to make a distinction there too because there's a difference between last days and last day. Um, So the last day is when Jesus comes back. Jesus has told us and promised us that he's going to come back. The last days are everything leading up to that. In other words, I'd say, I'd call it the future. But then after the last day, when Jesus comes back, it's basically everything you read in Revelation, Revelation and on and into eternity. That's what happens after the last day. Jesus comes back and then Revelation tells us some things and gets really crazy and who knows what that'll actually look like. But let me tell you, we are in the last days. Let me show you. You are here. That's where you are. Kids, take a look. That's where you are. This is the timeline throughout all of history. And we're there. We're in the future. We're toward the end. This is what the Bible tells us. So I want to try to keep your attention a little bit here. So how, okay, let me say this. Revelation is the very end, right? It's the last book of the Bible. Revelation tells us all of a bunch of weird things that are going to happen at the end. But we know the end of the story. We know the end of God's story. We know how it's all going to end. So, kids, let me ask you a question. What is, if you can think of a movie that you have watched at least 10 times, just one movie, well, do you have one? Have you seen a movie at least 10 times? What's that? Fly Me to the Moon. Fly Me to the Moon? You've seen that 10 times? Wow. 20? Sweet. What else? What other movies do you really like that you've seen a lot? The Greatest Showman. Nice. Do you have a movie? Um, Spider-Man, Spider-Verse. Cool. Awesome. Did you have one? Yeah. The Lego Movie. The Lego Movie. That's a great one. Everything is awesome. All right, Abriel. Jungle Book. Oh, that's a classic. That's good. Anything else? What, what, adults, what movies have you seen at least 10 times? Oh, here's one. Oh, Zootopia. That's such a good one. I love that one. Anything else? Adults, what have you seen at least 10 times? Princess Bride. Princess Bride. There's a good one. The Goonies. Lord of the Rings. Rings. Awesome. Die Hard. Die Hard. That's an appropriate movie. Okay, for me, for me, when I was younger, it was The Emperor's New Groove. I don't know if you, has anybody seen this movie? This is really good. I don't know why, but when I was younger, I could not get enough of it. I would just put it on repeat. But here's the point I want to say. For those of you who've seen movies more than once, you know how it ends, right? Right? If you've seen a movie multiple times, you know how it ends. And this is what happens. When, when, um, when we know the end of the story, the fights, the conflict, the danger, all of those things are just less of a big deal, right? They're less scary. Because we know, if we know the very end, we know it's just all going to work out. Right? Yes? Yes. Cool. All right. Actually, I've been failing to hand out candy. A bunch of you said movies. So I'm just going to throw all this candy out. 
All right. Got to make sure you're nice and sugared up for your parents. But this is the point. Did you know we know the end of the story? We know the end of God's story. We know the end of history. Oh, Teddy, that's my son. Teddy, you want some candy? I deprived my own son. I'm sorry. There you go, bud. Okay. So we know the end of God's story. We know how it ends. And I want to take you to one specific passage. It's Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. This will also be on the screen. But again, if you're taking notes, highlight this. This is a really, really important passage. This is the very end of Revelation. And John, the apostle, is the one who wrote this. He's having all these crazy visions about the future. And he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So there's a lot of specifics that we don't know, but the the gist of the end, the very end of human history is God wins and it works out. If you believe in Jesus, we collectively will spend eternity with him. There will be no more pain, no more tears. There will be no more suffering, no more anguish, nothing. God will recreate everything and make everything new. That's the end. It works out. It's very good news. And it works out. So, again, we're talking about movies, right? If you know the end, then the fight scenes, the conflict, the danger in the middle doesn't seem as bad, right? This is how so many people in the New Testament and so many people still today across in other areas of the world continue to die for their faith because they know the end and they know that it works out. You see how that works? So we know the end of the story. And basically what that it does for us now is this is our hope. This is our future. This is what we get to hold on to. When things are hard, when things don't work out well, when devastating things happen in our family, we can hold on to this hope that in the very end, God will recreate everything. Even our scars will be good. I love to point this out. Have you ever thought about when Jesus rose from the dead, what did he have in his hands? Scars. Scars of what? He had nails pierced through his hand. When he rose from the dead, he had the scars in his hands. And when he came to Thomas, who we we talk about as having doubted, right? What did Thomas do with Jesus? I have no idea. You have no idea? I'm about to tell you. He came to Thomas and said, look, here's the hole in my side where they put a spear in my side. Put your hand there. Is that proof enough for you? So Jesus himself, when he was resurrected, he came back with his scars. 
There's hope, even for our wounds, even for our brokenness, even for our pain. All of that, God is going to rework, mold, shape, and literally make it good. So we get to hold on to that future. So we're thinking about, okay, robots, craziness, future. This is our spiritual future. This is our reality in the future, is that everything will work out. So some of you may be thinking here, okay, that's great and all, but what does that mean for me now? Like I've said, we're living in the future. <laughs> but what does this mean for me now? So the rest of this morning, I just want us to focus on this. We get to play a role in writing God's story. Does that make sense? So again, God has a story from beginning to end. And most of that, a lot of it is written in this book. God is still writing his story, and we have a role to play in that. Kids, I have another question for you. Who wrote the Bible? Miles. God. You forgot? Who wrote the Bible? Paul. Paul? Paul wrote part of the Bible? Yeah. Who else? Who wrote the Bible? Jesus. Here you go, Teddy. In a sense. I'm sorry. My son shouldn't have bubble gum. Um, so in a sense, yeah. God wrote the Bible, kind of, but he didn't actually write it down with a pen. Jesus never actually wrote anything down, but we do believe that he helped write this. Yeah, who else wrote the Bible? Mark and Luke. They wrote part of the Bible. Good job. Awesome. Okay. I was kind of expecting someone to just to roll off with God. God wrote the Bible, right? So many of us are like, well, this is God's word, so you know, God wrote this, so you know, shove it in your face and tell you what's right. Well, that's partially true. God, this is God's word. This is what we call it. God inspired this. But he used people to actually write this down. People like Paul, like Mark, like Luke. In the Old Testament, like Moses and Joshua. God used real people to write this book down. They had a role in writing God's story. And I want you to think about this. Let's go back to that timeline real quick. The Bible basically talks about events that stop roughly right around Pentecost, shortly after Pentecost. There's a lot left in human history to happen. A lot has happened in the last 2,000 years. God's story is still being written. The Bible talks about a handful of things that are going to happen in the future, but it doesn't give us a lot of specifics, right? This doesn't talk about the Reformation that happened 500-ish years ago, but that was a huge part of the history of the church. So I want you to think about this, kids especially. I want you to, to look at me for this. You have a role to play in writing God's story. All of us here have a role to play. And I don't know if that's inspiring to you, but for me, that's pretty inspiring, knowing that even the greatest events that happened in the Bible or even through in the last 2,000 years, there's more to come, and we get to be a part of it. So too often as Christians, I want to really challenge us here, too often as Christians, we just settle for showing up on Sunday for an hour a week, sitting and listening not saying this is bad, this is great, right? But we, we settle for just coming once a week for an hour or two, sitting, listening, 
singing a couple songs. Then we go home, and we were like, I, I played my part. I'm good. I'm good for this week. Jesus is good. There's so much more to the Christian faith than that. If that's what you're settling for, let me tell you that you are missing out a ton on what God wants to do in your life. And you probably won't do anything big. I mean, you, you may be saved, you may be with Jesus in the end, that's great, but you may not be a part of writing much of God's story. We're called to so much more than just coming and sitting for a couple hours once a week. We're called to so much more. Brian mentioned this a couple weeks ago. This is a, a really, really important verse. So, kids, if you guys have started memorizing Bible verses at all yet, this is a great one to memorize. Adults, think about memorizing this one. Know this one by heart because this is so important. But it's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. These are Jesus' last words, at least recorded in that gospel. So the last thing that he says to his disciples is a charge. He gives them a mission. It says, then Jesus came to them, his disciples. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I'm telling you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then he gives us a promise and he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All comes back to the kingdom of God. Jesus came and said, I brought the kingdom with me. It's here. But now go and spread the kingdom. Share the word. Share the message. Take this with you. He's growing his kingdom. And his kingdom is good. And he wants to do that through us. We, we were not saved. If you believe in Christ, we were not saved to sit on our salvation. Sometimes we just sit on our hands. We twiddle our thumbs and we're like, okay, you know, that person over there is doing something pretty cool, but I'm just happy to sit here in this seat and listen. Maybe pray every so often. That's not what we were saved to do. We're not saved to sit on our salvation. We're not saved just to listen. We are saved to be sent. Jesus saves us and then he sends us. That's how he did it with his disciples. He saved them and then he sends them with a message. And that goes for us too. So here's the beauty. I want to share something with you. Some of you may know my story a little bit more, but do you know why I'm a Christian? And I mean, not like why I believe. I'm talking about like the event in my life that led to me eventually giving my life to Christ. It's because I had a cousin when I was 13 who invited me to a summer camp. That's it. There's a picture of me. I couldn't find, I was really trying hard to find one when I was 13, when I actually went because I looked way goofier. This is when I was 15. There's 15-year-old 15 Alex on the right. That's my cousin on the left. He invited me to go to a Christian summer. I mean, he actually kind of tricked me into going. He didn't tell me that it was faith-based. But he got me to go to a week-long summer camp. And that began my journey. God used that to get me to a point where I understood who he was, that I believed his love for me, and way down the line, I'm finding myself as a pastor. It took one invite. I was just talking to a girl this week, early 20s, I just met her, this week, and her story's very similar. 
she had friends growing up your age that just kept inviting her to church. So she started going to church with them and she gave her life to Jesus. And then I don't know how long it took, but several years after that, her parents came to know Jesus too because of the, the change they saw happening in her life. It takes a quick invite. It doesn't take much, but if we get this mission mentality and say that, that God wants to include you in sharing his word, sharing the kingdom, you can change people's lives forever. You can be a part of that story. You can be part of God's story on a major, major level. And that's what he's called us to. So thinking one last thing about the future, we'll end with this. As we think about the fact that we get to play a role in God's story. For the last 2,000 years, it's a lot of years, the church has changed a lot. Like, what we do today doesn't look anything like the church did 500 years ago. Not even close. The church has changed a ton. The message has always stayed the same. So when we think about, we, we're so good at innovating with technology and moving into the future, future and trying to get these robots up and going and like our life is changing drastically. But at the same time, you realize that you, God wants to include you, your creativity, your innovation, your passions to take the gospel message to places it's never been before. I mean, for those of us who I mean, if we live in Boulder County, in this area, this is a really different area than a lot of places in the country, but like just the way the time is shifting, we're in a completely new era with new people, new hurts, new struggles, new doubts, new questions. We have the opportunity to help write God's story here with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family. And who knows? You guys will probably be the future leaders of the church. You can help make the church look different and move in different ways that actually helps reach your people, reach the people that you know. So as we close, I, and before we pray, I just want to emphasize that one more time. As we've, we've talked about the very beginning. We've talked about the future, the very end. We're kind of in this weird middle space where we're, we're waiting for the end to come, but God has so much more to do. I want you to think, reflect, and pray, God, what have you gifted me with? What are you calling me to? How do you want to involve me in your master plan, in your story? And start taking steps. Kids, I'm talking to you too. Now, you can start taking steps. Talk to your friends. Even if it's just small, and just say, hey, do you want to come to church with me this week? Or do you want to come to this? And that's a very small thing that, again, changed my life because someone did that for me. Start there. But as a church, Rock Creek, I, I want us to more and more take this charge seriously that we have a special role to play in God's story. We have a special role to play here in Boulder County. And God's going to do amazing things if we continue to walk with him. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for the people in this room. Thank you so much for your message. I thank you for even the struggles and the hurts and pains and pains and doubts in this room, Lord, I thank you that you have saved us, that you love us more than we could possibly imagine. That you are renewing everything. You're going to make everything new. 
So I thank you for that, and I pray that that would give us hope, courage, passion, excitement for your word, that we would take this message that you died and rose again on the cross for us, and that you have a future secure for us, that we are your children. So Jesus, we thank you, and we give you the rest of this morning. We ask that you would help us to worship you, help us to sing well, help us to party, to celebrate, and to, to truly love you with this time this morning. We thank you, Jesus, and give all this to you in your name. Amen.